Hello, I'm Joseph Cashman. Thank you for joining us for another episode of English Mojo. You can find more at EnglishMojo.com. This is number 31, Stories for Future Presidents. Up against all the hazards already in the world, we now find ourselves blinded by that recurring snowstorm of storytelling known as the U.S. presidential campaign. An avalanche of talks is trying to push us to believe that each of the would-be American presidents is a hero of past, of present, and of future scenarios. Urgent politics, though, is steering campaign machines off-topic to snipe, attack, and counterattack their opponents. These are sparkly verbal fireworks and seem to resonate as feebly with voters, briefly grabbing attention before fading into the night sky. Tangled up in fights with each other, these candidates are missing the key point that the American electorate, like people everywhere, can be most strongly seduced by a good story well told. No one has explained the art of story seduction in America better than that master, Mark Twain. He had already written the most famous of his novels and stories when he published a revealing article, How to Tell a Story, in the Youth's Companion magazine in October 1895. How to Tell a Story is timeless advice for spinning out a funny tale. In this campaign, it's just the thing needed, because before the presidential bickering ends, we're all going to crave some comic relief. In the spirit of elevating the political rhetoric then, here's the lion's share of Twain's cogent piece. How to Tell a Story by Mark Twain. I do not claim that I can tell the story as it ought to be told, I only claim to know how a story ought to be told, for I have been almost daily in the company of the most expert storytellers for many years. There are several kinds of stories, but only one difficult kind, the humorous. I will talk mainly about that one. The humorous story is American. The comic story is English. The witty story is French. The humorous story depends for its effect upon the manner of the telling the comic story and the witty story upon the matter. The humorous story may be spun out to great length and may wander around as much as it pleases and arrive nowhere in particular. But the comic and witty stories must be brief and end with a point. The humorous story bubbles gently along. The others burst. The humorous story is strictly a work of art high and delicate art, and only an artist can tell it. But no art is necessary in telling the comic and the witty story. Anybody can do it. The art of telling a humorous story, understand I mean by word of mouth, not print, was created in America and has remained at home. The humorous story is told gravely. The teller does his best to conceal the fact that he even dimly suspects that there is anything funny about it. But the teller of the comic story tells you beforehand that it is one of the funniest things he has ever heard, then tells it with eager delight. 
and is the first person to laugh when he gets through. And sometimes, if he has had good success, he is so glad and happy that he will repeat the nub of it and glance around from face to face, collecting applause, and then repeat it again. It is a pathetic thing to see. Very often, of course, the rambling and disjointed humorous story finishes with a nub, point, snapper, or whatever you like to call it. Then, the listener must be alert, for in many cases the teller will divert attention from that nub by dropping it in a carefully casual and indifferent way, with a pretense that he does not know it is a nub. Thanks for taking this episode from EnglishMojo.com. Remember, there's more at the website. Twain continues. But the teller of the comic story does not slur the nub. He shouts it at you, every time. And when he prints it, in England, France, Germany, and Italy, he italicizes it, puts some whopping exclamation points after it, and sometimes explains it in a parenthesis. All of which is very depressing, and makes one want to renounce joking and lead a better life. Let me set down an instance of the comic method, using an anecdote which has been popular all over the world for 12 or 1500 years. The teller tells it this way. The Wounded Soldier In the course of a certain battle, a soldier whose leg had been shot off appealed to another soldier who was hurrying by to carry him to the rear, informing him at the same time of the loss which he had sustained. Whereupon the generous son of Mars, shouldering the unfortunate, proceeded to carry out his desire. The bullets and cannonballs were flying in all directions, and presently one of the latter took the wounded man's head off, without, however, his deliverer being aware of it. In no long time he was hailed by an officer, who said, Where are you going with that carcass? To the rear, sir. He's lost his leg. His leg, forsooth, responded the astonished officer. You mean his head, you booby. Whereupon the soldier dispossessed himself of his burden and stood looking down upon it in great perplexity. At length, he said, It is true, sir, just as you have said. Then, after a pause, he added, But he told me it was his leg. Here, the narrator bursts into explosion after explosion of thunderous horse laughter, repeating that nub from time to time through his gasping and shriekings and suffocatings. It only takes a minute and a half to tell that in its comic story form and isn't worth the telling after all. Put into the humorous story form, it takes 10 minutes and is about the funniest thing I have ever listened to, as James Whitcomb Riley tells it. He tells it in the character of a dull-witted old farmer who has just heard it for the first time, thinks it is unspeakably funny, and is trying to repeat it to a neighbor. But he can't remember it, so he gets all mixed up and wanders helplessly round and round, putting in tedious details that don't belong in the tale and only retard it, taking them out conscientiously and putting in others that are just as useless making minor mistakes now and then, and stopping to correct them and explain how he came to make them, remembering things which he forgot to put in their proper place, and going back to put them in there, stopping his narrative a good while in order to try to recall the name of the soldier that was hurt, and finally remembering that the soldier's name was not mentioned, and remarking placidly that the name is of no real importance anyway. Better, of course, if one knew it, but not essential after all. And so on, and so on, and so on. 
the teller is innocent and happy and pleased with himself and has to stop every little while to hold himself in and keep from laughing outright, and does hold in. But his body quakes in a jelly-like way with interior chuckles, and at the end of ten minutes the audience have laughed until they are exhausted, and the tears are running down their faces. The simplicity and innocence and sincerity and unconsciousness of the old farmer are perfectly simulated, and as a result, is a performance which is thoroughly charming and delicious. This is art, and fine and beautiful, and only a master can compass it. But a machine could tell the other story. To string incongruities and absurdities together in a wandering and sometimes purposeless way, and seem innocently unaware that they are absurdities, is the basis of the American art, if my position is correct. Another feature is the slurring of the point. A third is the dropping of a studied remark apparently without knowing it, as if one were thinking aloud. The fourth and last is the pause. Artemis Ward dealt in numbers three and four a good deal. He would begin to tell with great animation something which he seemed to think was wonderful, then lose confidence and, after an apparently absent-minded pause, add an incongruous remark in a soliloquizing way. And that was the remark intended to explode the mind. And it did. For instance, he would say eagerly, excitedly, I once knew a man in New Zealand who hadn't a tooth in his head. Here, his animation would die out. A silent, reflective pause would follow. Then he would say dreamily, and as if to himself, And yet, that man could beat a drum better than any man I ever saw. The pause is an exceedingly important feature of any story, and a frequently recurring one, too. It is a dainty thing, and delicate, and also uncertain and treacherous. For it must be exactly the right length, no more and no less, or it fails of its purpose and makes trouble. If the pause is too short, the impressive point is past, and the audience have had time to divine that a surprise is intended. And then you can't surprise them, of course. How to Tell a Story goes on to detail a ghost tale, The Golden Arm, and how Twain, speaking in a vernacular of his day, which would horrify campaign rally listeners today, managed to shock and entertain his audiences again and again. Nonetheless, the advice we've heard here will well serve any storyteller, presidential hopefuls included. Incidentally, given the nature of the current battlefield grinder the country is in, it's doubtful any candidate would dare tell the wounded soldier today. And more to the point, there's no sign that any of these congressional climbers, so practiced in sound bites and poll numbers, has the talent or inclination to pull off a truly humorous story told in Twain's American style anyway. I'm Joseph Kashmir. Thanks for joining me this episode. If you enjoyed it, look for more at the website, EnglishMojo.com, where you can leave your much-welcomed comments and requests. You can also write anytime to tell us what you think about the productions via our email. Info, that's I-N-F-O, at EnglishMojo.com. And please remember to invite your friends to visit EnglishMojo.com. It will make us oh so happy. Until next time... 
keep that mojo working. Music by Caminos del Sonido. <laughs>